Hot round! Red 7, Red 7, Red 7! Don! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot round! I don't. What is hot round? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Billy Bob! This is it! The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide open tailback. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch. Nom, 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 nom. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. Are you gonna get me the oh, ball? Oh, I'll get you the ball! I hope he didn't kill somebody. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. I got a whole lot of money. Tell me for me. Bottle keep popping that water bath. The dust has settled on the NFL draft and 11 personnel is here to talk about all of the action from Las Vegas. I'm Nick Roush, joined by Adam Luckett, where four Wildcats went off the board. Three, a little higher expected, one unexpected fall. Um, but this draft, we got a little bit of everything, Luckett. And the, even though there weren't any Wildcats to hear their names uh, called on Thursday night, that Thursday night, that was about as bananas as you can get for a first round. Yeah, we had a lot of trades, blockbuster trades outside the draft, two receivers, and then teams trading up for receivers, quarterbacks disappearing in the draft. It was a wild, wild couple hours there on Thursday. And the the, draft, the NFL, just in general, they just find a way usually to deliver. Um, they've turned in a re- reading cards off a, off a piece of paper into like this spectacle every – you know, every April, Thursday, Thursday in April every year, where it's just a primetime must-see event. I mean, it certainly delivered, I think, this year. We had a fair share of surprises, um, interesting developments. That I mean, the A.J. Brown trade came out of nowhere for me. We, it wasn't – we were expecting maybe a blockbuster wide receiver trade, Debo Samuel, mm-hmm. San Francisco 49ers maybe getting involved somewhere. But we weren't expecting it to come from the Tennessee Titans. And so that was, that was a big shocker. Um, to the system and then when you, you look at the draft uh, defense heavy there at the beginning and then the, when the run arm wide receiver started everyone got crazy mm-hmm. um, and then I kind of think the pick of Cole Strange there at the end of the first round man that by was the bizarre. Patriots was kind of a sign of things to come I think for the the next two days of the draft there were a lot of teams that were just they were kind of all over the place, off the board, not really close to the consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that had something to do with why you saw a couple Kentucky guys there at the end go undrafted as well. Um, for the people in the the, the media scouting, I would say, um, there at the end, they kind of – they were just – you know, it's hard when you scout that many guys, right? Right, right. Um, and they're not giving up that much information. Some of these teams, you don't know the medicals, all of that. But there's got like – Yusuf Corker and Darryl Rosenthal felt like pretty safe draft picks for Kentucky. Yeah. I'd have been willing to bet a lot of money that both of them would have got drafted. And especially Dare, just just on traits alone, you know, and potential. Right. Upside. Well, yeah, especially late in the rounds because that's what the late rounds are. It's really you're betting on. You just roll the dice. Yeah. 
and so, yeah, that was a big surprise um, that both those guys went undrafted. Yeah, let's um, – before we get into specifically the Kentucky guys, why some fell and everything, I wanted to just big picture, some, some big picture takeaways. Uh, first off, I did – on Thursday night, I just bounced around to all of the channels, to all three. And first and foremost, ESPN had the worst of all of the, the broadcasting crews. Each one had somebody that just wasn't good on there where you're like, why, why are we, why is this guy on television? Like Charles Cross of the NFL network was just like, who can we get to say the most boring stuff period? But like ESPN, it was what's let's, let's pick a guy and let's immediately get into the hot take game. And it was just not like you couldn't even let the pick breed. ABC got a little bit, uh, you know, they're a little bit on the hokier side. Look at with the sad, sob stories and stuff like that. But they at least and, – and same thing with Dar- – Daniel Jeremiah would talk about the good of the player before they would kind of, well, this is why he's not as good. You know, I, I just I, – I thought ESPN's was just – it was just horrendous between Booger and um, and you had uh, Mike Greenberg. Like, I don't need more Mike Greenberg on my television. ESPN has found a way to shoehorn Mike Greenberg into every single thing they do. I don't know when that man sleeps, but I actually uh, enjoyed a little bit of the, the ABC one with McShay on there and Desmond Howard because Desmond, ha- it felt like I was watching college game day with Reese Davis up there. And it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was lighthearted. Um, and to the point about the, the trades and stuff, I, I, I just, I love the drama of it all. The drama was just electrifying because they would kind of tease you with breaks here and there. It's like, oh, we've got another blockbuster trade. We've got to talk about it. So you flip the channel, you check your phone, and then you kind of <gasps> gasp. It was, it was an electric, an electric event. Uh, e- even though it wasn't always time, the most pleasing to the eye. Like I, I don't need Tony Gonzalez and Austin Eckler talking about a Thursday night football game for two minutes. Like some, some of those things that were shoehorned in there. It's like, oh, come on, just that's a damn pick already. You mentioned ESPN. They they were like way behind. Um, NFL Network was getting the pick out much faster than they were. Um, I guess they had some type of delay. And then, I mean, you, on Twitter you were you were almost a pick or two ahead most of the night if you wanted to be if you wanted mm-hmm. to get on there and see what's right. going on. So that's not good. They get that fixed. Really, the best coverage all weekend was Saturday on ESPN. I thought um, you had Reese Davis took over mm-hmm. to play by play it. Um, still had Lewis Riddick and Mel Kuyper on there, but then they brought McShay over yeah, that, for all seven out. That, that's, that's the dream the, team right there. Well, that's the crew. Cause you've got two, you know, draft guys that do this 24 mm-hmm. seven, right? You've got Reese Davis who knows these players very well. And Reese Davis is throwing in little tidbits from yes, because he covers these guys mm-hmm. for college. That's what he does full time. And then you have Lewis Riddick, who has a scouting and general manager background, a front office background. Right. And so that those blend of three guys were really, I thought, the best team of any television coverage. We had three feeds, right? Uh, th- those three were the best. I would like to see those three together for the full draft. You get the McShay, Kuiper back and forth. Da, da, da. <laughs> McShay. <laughs> yeah. McShay <laughs> taking little digs at Kuiper. And it was honestly better this year because Kuiper wasn't there in person. So he couldn't respond like instantly. So McShay would just, you know, kept digging him and digging him and digging him before he could respond. It was great. So that, that was, 
that was great. And those three together, I think that's what you want in a draft to me, a draft coverage. You've got a guy who knows knows these players well. Mm-hmm. You've got a guy who's got NFL experience in a front office, what teams are looking for. And then you've got two guys that have covered a bunch of drafts and know a bunch of stuff about the about all these players. So that's what you really look for in the draft coverage. And them splitting it up, it just that that really bothers me. Like Shea and Kuiper should be on there together for yeah. the whole draft. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, and and I I, I don't want to make this just a, a media critique or anything, but the damn it, ESPN, like the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the top four more storied franchises in NFL. They pick a kid that played for Pitt in the same stadium as him. He's the first quarterback off the board. And instead of gassing him up, it's like, oh, we're going to immediately go to hand size. It's like, I know they talked about it a lot, and you've got to mention it eventually, but can we not just enjoy this dude, like, crying in his dad's arms for a minute? Like, this is that's a cool story. And what do I think of the pick? I don't know yet. I, I don't think they – I think if not for Haskins' unfortunate tragic death, they, they might have uh, gone with Malik Willis just from a – uh, we know we can sit him for a year, but now when you've really just got Mitch Trubisky there, you, you feel like you need the more pro-ready prospect. You've seen him a lot, so it, it feels like the safest pick. I don't mind it, um, but like I, I just I, I wanted to be at least like convince myself for twenty seconds that Kenny Pickett is going to be kicking all kinds of ass. When then uh, you just it's hard though. Like it, uh, you just look at the long hair and he doesn't have he's. One, I mean, one really good year, and then it's three or three or four years of, yeah. Eh. <laughs> eh. He just doesn't have the, the same swagger that a Burrow or Lamar Jackson or any. It's just uh, we we didn't get our Baker Mayfield trade, and that that was I think as big of a surprise as anything. Um, they ended up taking Matt Corral. Big, yeah, yeah. It, two things here. Two things the, here. The the hands discourse, right? When right. they got on there and they were showing Booger's <laughs> disjointed thumb going back and forth about why it's important. And then Lewis Riddick kind of giving examples of why. I mean, that was just peak. That's peak draft combine. That that That's just – that's what it's all about there. Um, so, that was awesome. And then – I forgot my second point now. So, go, uh, go continue what you're saying. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Not Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah. Here's, here's what it was. The draft, really, the first round and then into the second round, it taught us a lesson right here. Um, they were, number one was, like, wide receiver is now one of the most important positions in football. Like, these teams are doing whatever they can to have dudes at wide receiver. Um, they need difference makers on the outside. Um, but it also showed that the NFL thought this class stunk, right? Yes, yes. I mean – And part of it is, I think, next year, Nick, they know next year there's some dudes coming mm-hmm. at quarterback. Right. They know two at clear that they feel pretty good about and CJ Stroud and Bryce Young at the top. And then they've got other guys that I think could really develop into something. Um, obviously, Will Levis being one of those cats. Mm-hmm. And DJ so I Hughes think in that of, mix, Hendon Hooker. Like, there's a good collection of like five or six guys where probably half of them are going to end up climbing in that first round. Right. I mean, the ACC's got a few of them, like a few good starting quarterbacks. So, yeah, th- there's there's a lot there. Um, I think in this next year's crop of quarterbacks. And so these teams just aren't going to, I don't think, risk the, the, the heavy draft capital and get stuck 
with these with these guys. They're going to wait. They're going to play the tank game, for lack of a better word, I think. That's why I think the Seahawks are kind of flirting with right now. Do we want to go Baker in here, try to get competitive, and bust our ass to go 8-10 and 10 so we can draft 13th a, next year? In a tough division, too, you know. Yeah. Um, or do they we held wanna, on a DK, too, which – yeah, or do we want to throw Locke out here, see if he can put a decent to get season together, and if he does, then maybe he has some trade value if you go five and thirteen or whatever, and then mm-hmm. you can trade him off for a six rounder, and you can pick fifth instead of fourteenth, um, because there's a huge no man's land there in the NFL, and that's a place you don't want to be, and you gotta have the quarterback, and I think that that was on display from the jump in this draft was that the consensus was in the league that they weren't big on these quarterbacks. There's a ton of in the quarterback movement on top of that, like guys are moving all the time. So you, you're going to be in position to land a quarterback as well. um, Even if you're not up there in the draft. So all those factors, I think had people um, being a little more patient with the quarterback position than they were in the past. Like if this is five years ago, Malik Malik Willis is 12th probably, you know, Um, Kenny Pickett is probably in the top 10 because you had to have them now that there's more options and they're, they're looking more further down the road and teams are not afraid maybe to stink for a year. I think you saw that play out by the, the willingness to be patient with the quarterback position. Uh, you, you, let's, let's go ahead and get to the, the bad news before the good news um, with the Kentucky football players, because um, of the four, at one point, we thought Darian Kennard was going to be the first guy off the board. Uh, at the end of the regular season, you saw some some people thinking he was in the first round. At the worst, you thought he was top half of the second. Goes to the senior bowl, doesn't do very well. And we knew that he would slide some, but still, he's a consensus All-American. They, they, those don't grow on trees. Uh, and like it on Friday night, you start looking, you start seeing these guys where – an offensive tackle was going off the board, and they're like, well, he's probably a guard, though. I know there's a guy from UCLA that I think went to the Packers. And you started seeing a lot of these guys that had similar descriptions to Kennard going ahead of him. And it really didn't make more that much sense at all until he ultimately slid until Saturday, went all the way out of the fourth round before the Chiefs picked him up in the fifth. Look, it, I, I know that we're going to be more plugged in we're more plugged in than most. And that was uh, a shock to us. And I, I think a lot of it came back to Kennard saying, you know, he wanted people to show another side of him or show more of his personality. And that ultimately, it, it, no, you, 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 you want to show just enough to get picked and then you can show him your personality. Uh, I, I think with all that being said, like it, a lot of this folks, is the NFL, we need to remember what we're yeah. talking about here. Yeah, and and a lot of people were quick to jump on his COVID takes and his Joe Biden shirt and all that. I don't think it's purely politics. I think there was more to it. Uh, And and from what I heard of, he was not a pleasant person to be around at Pro Day. And I I, I think he had some interviews that left people kind of like, this guy seems a little different. And when they went to Pro Day – they got confirmation in the worst way. Instead of the other day, he, he proved them correct, and that's why he slid down a lot of teams' board. And, and it's unfortunate, but it also goes to show you, too, like how much the NFL now, they don't just – it's it's not 80% tape, 20% eval. It, 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 it might be flipped the other way now. Yeah, I think they are valuing 
that you love football, how you fit within our locker room. Um, every franchise is different, though, right? I mean, if you're like the Texans, you just need good players. You can't really worry about, you know, if they're going to get along with each other. You need to get good players and then go from there. But if you've got structure at all within your organization and you've got cornerstone pieces, um, that's uh, that's a tiebreaker. Um, right. Are they captains? Do they love football? What they bring to the locker room? All that kind of stuff. For Kennard, I think it was the it was this right here. I think you go all the way back this time last year, Nick. Evan Neal was probably seen as a top tackle, mm-hmm. um, but it was like Icky Wanu and Kennard were kind of right there together. It's like first round guys, and then Iguanu goes what top ten? Whoops, and then. Canard falls all the way to the fifth round. When you dig into the Canard's ear, okay, he they make an offensive transition. He's supposed to play left tackle. Um, Pro-style scheme comes in. They move him back to right tackle. They're supposed to run wide zone. They don't really want to run wide zone. So what, what happened there? Why didn't that fit for him? You go to the senior bowl, he doesn't play well. I'm just putting it bluntly at right tackle. Go to the combine, he tests very poorly for a tackle. Um, testing numbers were better as a guard, but they were still like barely average, a little bit below average when you look at some of the athletic testing. You add that in, it's kind of sounding like probably the meetings didn't go very well with teams. And so I think you we got in a situation where as you got into scouting him, a lot of the wide zone teams, which is a good chunk of the league. So any team that runs outside zone, mm-hmm. heavy amount. So thank any guy that would work for McShay. Shanahan, um, you've got it going on with the Falcons. They're running it. Arthur Smith is kind of running that offense there in Atlanta. Um, Seattle runs it. Uh, there's a ton of teams that run it. Like, ha- it feels like half the league runs that. Right. So that probably took him off the board just completely because they were afraid that lack of positional athleticism, that's important. His best pro concern potentially. Um, and he looks like he's kind of struggled running this system last year. So then it gets down to teams that are more gap scheme power running teams and he just fell on the board but he ended up in a really good spot I think you look at the Chiefs they traded up to get him so obviously they saw some value there with him and the Chiefs starting right guard right now Nick is he had a great career but he all had a had a fall in the draft he had a medical issue people were worried about I think there was maybe some character concerns potentially. I'm not sure about that, but I know there was a medical issue. He falls to the sixth round. He comes in, starts for the Chiefs as a rookie. He was one of the best right guards in football last year. And you look at their top backup, who's Andrew Wiley, a swing right guard, right tackle, has one year left on his contract. Um, Kennard's coming in to take over for that guy and be their top backup at right guard, right tackle. It's a power scheme for the Chiefs. They don't really run outside zone. Um, It's counter, it's power. And it's, you know, keep my homes clean with a heavy drop back passing game. I think that's exactly where he needed to go. I think the Chiefs have shown a track record to succeed with old linemen like him. Just last year, Creed Humphrey and Trey, Trey Smith were both rookies. Neither was a first-round pick. They both had great seasons. Um, so he's entering, I think, a good place for him, in a place where he can succeed. So, yes, he dropped, and, and that was a big surprise. But – at the end of the day, it could be a best-case scenario situation for him because he's going to a good franchise. Mm-hmm. And 
he's joining an offensive line with players like him um, that have right. succeeded there. Yeah, and Trey Smith, he was one of those dudes that uh, was uh, highly regarded until he had the medical issue. And so, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. The, the Chiefs are a good team, too. That always helps. And um, Yeah, I mean, he's a good training camp away from being their swing guard tackle, mm-hmm. potentially, and playing a big role for a Super Bowl contender. And so that, that's a good spot for him to start his career. And I feel like, in general, uh, there is a – there's a lot of good fits uh, for the Cats in this draft. There's not a whole lot of, oh, God, he's in trouble. Um, and we'll kind of work our way back towards the top with uh, Luke Fortner. Where, I, I, like, I don't remember if that was a prediction here or if that was a group text thing, but I remember when the, the Jag Center retired and you mentioned that there, there can be your spot, get Trevor Lawrence his center for the future, and Fortner – Climbed up the boards. Uh, you know, I spoke with him and put a lot of the quotes in a post um, on Monday on KSL about it. But it was, I mean, he even said that some of the senior the scouts of the senior bowl were like, yeah, we got to regrade you because you're just a completely different player. He really helped himself this year at center. Uh, not only the tape he put out, but he's also a good interview kind of guy. He's got the right measurables and now is going to a place where I mean, I, I'm not saying he's a shoehorn and he just was walking into a starting spot. But if he does all the right things, he could be a day one starter uh, down there in Jacksonville. Intangibles are big with him, right? Mm-hmm. Captain, uh, three position versatility there Smart. on the line. He tough, uh, durable, mm-hmm. played through some injuries, has really good center tape, you know, played really, really well as a center. He was the third true center off the board. Um, after Linderbaum goes to the Ravens and Cam Jurgens goes to the Eagles. And he's going into the spot, Nick, where it's, you know, great situation. Brandon Linder, like we just talked about, just retired. And then they've got Tyler Shatley's kind of a veteran who's been a key reserve for them. Mm-hmm. He's 31 years old. They just signed him to like a two-year, like $7 million deal. So, obviously, he's going to be a player for them next year. Um, but it could be a guy – maybe Fortner doesn't start right away as a rookie – um, but you can kind of learn from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Fortner hits the ground running right, you don't want Trevor Lawrence to have three centers in three seasons. Yeah, could be a thing true. where if he if he's ready, just go ahead and give him the keys and let them kind of build a rapport as they you know are in the middle of this rebuild. Because you, stability is big here for Lawrence after that train wreck he just dealt with with the Urban Meyer yeah. in year one. And so if you can stabilize that center position, I think that would be big for him. And so for Luke, I think it's a great opportunity, right? He could be the Jeff Saturday to Peyton Trevor Manning. Lawrence. Trevor yeah. Lawrence, Peyton Manning, he could be Jeff Saturday to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And so it's uh, – I think it's just a great spot for him to go in. Um, Doug Peterson has a versatile uh, running game. Uh, they do some outside zone. They also do some, more, uh, some power stuff, so they're not married to one way or the other. I think that's good for Luke. He succeeded in all of that at Kentucky. I think it's a very good spot for him. Um, getting to team up with a quarterback like that early in his career could be big. And he, he checks a lot of boxes. I think that franchise is needing. Um, it can come in and be a cornerstone of that offensive line. And for that Jaguars organization that Nick, if you look at it, like if you look at that division, AFC South, I know we like the jab, or jab at the Jaguars, but, like, what quarterback are you taking over him in that division? 
you got Matt Ryan, you got I Davis Mills, Matt Ryan is and you got Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and the, the Titans are already preparing for life after I mean, Tannehill. He's probably you know, got this year and he's done. In this free agency, Jaguars overspent on a lot of casts. People are going to make fun of that Christian Kirk signing. But you got to um, spend money if you're they the got, They have, com- they have <laughs> you know? competency right now, yeah. at least, where they could be kind of a surprise team, I think, this year if if Lawrence takes a big step forward, mainly because they have competency on the roster and they've got a grown-up in the room. <laughs> yeah, so a Super Bowl-winning coach, you know. Um, and that could be – because you can see the Jags just emerging as like that team within the AF South. I could really see because they got the quarterback. Now I'm big on Lawrence. If you maybe feel as big on him as him, you, you won't believe that. But that that could be a great situation for Luke Fortner to be in. I well, mean, I would it, be really excited if I was him going down there and teaming up with a good quarterback. We got a new regime. We're in a winnable division. There's a lot to like there, and there's a wide open spot for you to come in and potentially start right away as a rookie. Yeah, and the Jags they showed a little bit of fight down the stretch. You know, a little bit of winning in spite. Of their beat, coach. beat the Colts. They yeah, the yeah. Knock kept, them out kept, playoffs. Exactly. Uh, and and you can say the same thing about the the next team up, the Detroit Lions, where they were the best. They're one of the best bad teams I can ever remember. Where it was like fun to watch, right? Yeah, and they, they did had almost no talent except for the receiver's name who escapes my brain. Monroe right? St. Brown. Yeah, yeah. Who really came along at the end? But they didn't have a lot, and they were just biting kneecaps, staying in games. They were losing heartbreaking fashion time and time again. But they showed a lot of fight. Uh, they went with a safe pick uh, with Aiden Hutchinson, the second overall. And that's my question for you, Josh Pascal. He. He was not expecting it. He had the formal meeting with the Lions. Um, but, you know, when the team's top picks an edge, you're not necessarily thinking they're going to go with another edge there. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are because in his mind, like, that's kind of a good thing. You're going in at the same time. Some might see it as a bad thing, though, where you're almost kind of competing for the same spot. But I, I think in practice, uh, Pascal could be third defensive end and, you know, maybe get some defensive tackle reps, get some pass rush. Uh, ops on third down as well at, at, at that tackle spot. Um, so I, I think from a, a culture kind of like what, what what Dan Campbell wants their defense to do, Josh does that. I just don't know how the, the opportunity with Hutchinson there does make things, I think, a little bit more difficult for him. Number one, like I kind of want to ask on what the Lions are doing right now. Uh, from a roster building perspective, two years in a row, you just get – Rockstone pieces on both lines of scrimmage. Panay Sewell and Aiden Hutchinson, very high floors. Maybe the ceiling aren't isn't it has other prospects, but those guys are going to be, I think, multi-time pro bowlers. And you got them on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They didn't overspend for a quarterback right here. They're being patient. They're taking the rebuild, and they had a really good draft. I think they got some really good pieces here. Jamison Williams is – like that, yeah. I'm excited to see him team up with Amaroth St. Brown. Now I think that could be fun. DeAndre Swift's a fun little tailback mm-hmm. they have in the backfield. Um, TJ Hawkinson's one of the best tight ends in football. Cough serviceable and can mm-hmm. at least get you through this year until right. you know if you have another bad year, you've got quarterbacks to choose from next year. And they're they're deciding to build the defense from the line of scrimmage out. And so they go, they get Hutchinson, they spend a number two overall pick on him. They run kind of this 3-4 hybrid front, which is, I think, where Pascal is going to be best utilized at as a guy who can play 4-I, four, 4, four, play some 5 technique, 
Um, and then in pass rush situations, he's going to slide down and probably play some three technique as a situational rusher. Now you look at the roster right now, there is a lot of bodies there they have on the defensive line, but a lot of those guys are probably going to be churned out after a year or two um, because of this new regime. They're getting their guys in here. So obviously Hayden Hutchinson is going to be kind of like the JJ Weaver. Okay. In their defense, mm-hmm. kind of that stand up outside rusher, um, slash outside linebacker who they're going to slide inside and they're going to move him around a lot, I would imagine. Um, but Josh can be that, that, that guy opposite of him, right? That, that three, four defensive end um, who can really set the tone as an edge setter in the run game um, can really provide value on first down and second down. And then where he's really going to make his big money is how he develops as a pass rusher there on third down. Mm-hmm. When he's lined up inside, can he beat guards and can he get interior pressure? Um, can he enforce the uh, influence the pocket? Um, so that's something to watch for. But I think it's a good spot for him. There's not going to be huge expectations at first, but there's going to be a role for him as a rookie and as a second year player. Um, and I think it's a good fit playing with somebody potentially like Hutchinson, who could be just a a magnet to attention, right? Yeah. If he it's, turns it's, into like a elite rusher, and then that opens up one on ones for you right. on the backside, where you can really make. Uh, make some moves and then maybe if you stack up a 10 11 12 sack year or a bunch of tackle for loss here then you could get to free agency and you could potentially get a pretty big payday so I think it's a good spot Pascal's going into general manager Brad Holmes there I think he knows what he's doing seems like he's doing a good job building the roster um their culture 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 with Dan Campbell um and they're you know we'll see what they do when they get that quarterback. But you look at that division, like how much longer Rogers going to be around? Yeah, Bears are just be- the Bears. I mean, we can Vikings get into the Bears. Are going, they're spiraling. We can get into the Bears, but that their strategy and their what they're doing is just, I mean, it's awful. And I feel bad for Justin Fields. It's going to be a freaking train wreck watching them play offense this year. <laughs> um, so in the uh, you Vikings, we'll see. They're, they they've got a new regime in there. But what the Lions are doing right now, I think it's you. There's a lot to be excited about there in Detroit. Uh, they've got to, a bright future as of right now. If they don't to, mess it up, they're still going to make some more steps, but they're in, the, they're in the right direction. To your point about Hutchinson, it's 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 the Boogie Watson capitalizing on Josh Allen being there, where you know he's able right. to to clean up a lot of the the pressures that that Josh Allen was providing up in the pocket. So um, even though Detroit and Jacksonville, they both have that kind of stink on their franchise. It seems like things are trending in the right direction. Each. Now, team now has two cats on it. Stenberg was working out this offseason uh, at UK, some rehabbing a knee injury. And then, of course, Josh Allen, he got his option picked up by the Jags. So, uh, a couple of teams for the Big Blue Nation really keep their eyes on moving forward. Uh, we're going to get to Wandell Robinson and more. But first, a break from our sponsors. The last but not least, the first off the board, Wandell Robinson is a New York football giant and might be might be tough sledding this year but once you get daniel jones out of there you get somebody who knows what the hell they're doing um a lot of early mock drafts i even have will levis going to the g-men yeah but <laughs> which uh we, we can get to more later but i think the point you made in your post uh friday night on ksr Brian Dayball is the ideal guy to get Robinson the ball where he's most effective, and that's that's making plays in space. Yeah, I'm getting Wandell just a minute or a second here, but that Will Levis comp is coming, and that, that that's coming because 
he's going to get compared to Josh Allen. Yeah. All year. Like this is, I'm just, it's going to happen here over the summer. Like Josh Allen light. Will Levis has got Josh Allen traits. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear all of that. And Brian Dayball came from the bills. He's now with the giants. I found it's four, gonna be a, four mock drafts with Levis in the top 10 of 2023. Now, you know, that's going to be a, a very popular mock there. It's a long way away, but a lot of, he, he, he showed some stuff at his pro day. Teams have been watching more film on Kentucky. Now they have more guys, and they're playing against a bunch of dudes like that that Georgia defense. That will love his hype. It ain't it ain't slowing down anytime soon. So you know what? Let's just now's the time to have fun. It's kind of like what we said when cats were six and zero. We're talking college football playoff scenarios. Well, let's enjoy it because right now Kentucky has a guy with the tools to be the second best quarterback in the SEC. Now, uh, of course, that's got to you got to turn that hype into production, but he's got. Uh, more depth at receiver this year. He's got a year yeah. into the system. Like there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there for uh, a lot of potential to to continue dreaming big about that uh, date in December in Atlanta. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt, and it's going to be a off season full of that talk, right? Um, there's a chance Kentucky's got to do a lot of special things here, um, and we can get into that all all summer, really. Yeah, <laughs> um, but right now, Wanda Robinson with the Giants, it just makes sense. Dayball's one of the better offensive play callers in the NFL. He did a good job in Buffalo, showing he could play to his player's strengths. Um, did a good job of developing Josh Allen. I think he's going to put Daniel Jones in good situations. Um, I think he might see maybe a career year from Daniel Jones. That's a low bar to clear, obviously. Um, but that the Giants just turned down his fifth-year option, so it seems like they're probably going to be willing to move on after the season, but we'll see how it shakes out. Um, for Robinson, I think when you look at Dable's pass, they really use slot receiver very efficiently. Cole Beasley was very good in Buffalo under Dable. Um, it really took off in Buffalo after they got that true outside ball winner, mm-hmm. um, high-level player in Stephon Diggs. That's not available in New York right now. So it's going to have to be a kind of a manufactured passing game. But they're going to use Wandell, I think, in right situations, condensed formations, preset motions, um, creating free releases for him off the line of scrimmage and using him in concepts where he can win regularly and getting the ball in space. And so from that aspect, I think that's really all you wanted for Wandell at the next level. You wanted him to get in a place with a creative mind and maybe a, an offense that would be able to force feed him touches while he still develops as a, as a route winner. Um, one-on-one in space and so I think Debo will be able to do that and you look at the Giants roster due to the fact that they don't have really any outside ball winners right now they're going to have to get very creative with how they get their slot receivers open or their gadget type players you look at Sterling Shepard who's entering the last year of his contract 30 years old so he's probably on the way out and you got Cardarius Tony with Wandell mm-hmm. it's two kind of gadget guys you can do a lot of unique stuff with um, I think it's going to be fun seeing them kind of scheme it up see what they can do to get um stuff open and maybe using those guys as a way to get maybe Saquon Barkley some more room to operate. And so for that, I think, I think it's very exciting for Wanda Robinson stepping into that situation. He's going to get some action there as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a, I think them drafting him that early shows that they valued him pretty highly because that was above the consensus of where we thought he landed on draft boards. Yep. So he's going to be, a huge piece of that young core that they're building. They just got the cornerstone tackle on Evan Neal and yeah. Rondell Robinson is going to be a big piece 
of how they build out that offense moving forward. And whoever the quarterback of the future there is in New York, Wondell Robinson is going to be a big part of his success um, because they, they are invested in him. Yeah, and I believe the Giants, didn't they draft an edge too kind of early? Is that right? Am I? You, the Jets did. Um, they got, they got they Jermaine got, Johnson. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The Giants, they had three top 50 picks. No, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm, yeah. Excuse me. They got Kayvon Thibodeau. That's Kayvon right. Yeah. Thibodeau, Evan Neal, Wondell Robinson. They had two top I mean, 10 picks. Those two top 10 picks, they were often – they were seen as the number one overall at, at one point in the process. Right. So, mm-hmm. the, the New York teams did pretty well, I think, generally speaking. Yeah. They got two uh, general managers that know what they're doing, I think, with Joe Shane this. coming from Buffalo and then Joe Douglas – um, who came from Philly. I think both those guys know what they're doing. It's just going to be – they both got a nail quarterback. I think yeah. both those teams are building good rosters, but the quarterback is a huge question mark there in New York. Uh, and speaking of New York, we mentioned earlier, Yusuf Corker, he went undrafted but signed with the G-Men as an undrafted free agent. Uh, the I, I've quote-tweeted some of those, but uh, his name's Ken Platt. Ken Platt, he does a relative athletic score, where it's like, so what was all of – what does – all of this data mean that we get at the combine and he does a good way of synthesizing it into a school out of one to 10 and comparing it among their peers. Yeah. Green, yellow, red. Yeah. Green. Yeah. It's green, yellow, red, good, bad. And Corker, you know, outside of his bench press was pretty modest in all of the athletic measurables, which is, you know, when you're, when you're going for a safety, you want that. But I, I still think with his intangibles as a two-year captain, you know, like he's a he's a mature adult. I mean, I'm pretty sure he got married prior to the season. He's got a couple of kids. Um, I think he's got a good shot of of finding a nice. Yeah, I feel like there's a soft landing spot, you know, where he yeah. can he can really if he doesn't find the field on defense, he certainly can on special teams. I know uh, Quandre Mosley could probably say the same thing as a member of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, and I. So there's something to that Carolina Panthers organization. They like the Kentucky defensive lineman. They, they took a flyer on Phil Hoskins late last year, and then they signed Marquand McCall uh, late this, as an undrafted free agent this year. If there's one lesson that I want some of the Kentucky guys to learn, be careful who the hell you're listening to, because I I don't know if it's all of it, but I certainly think it plays a role. in uh, McCall and Rosenthal were both fringe guys. And they both just didn't do anything at the combine. They worked out, but they didn't do any of the testing. And I I just don't know. I, I get, I mean, we mentioned earlier with Kennard, but maybe you showed too much. But if you're a fringe guy, you got to, it's your tryout, you know? And I, I just. Yeah, stick out somehow. Yeah, and I, I just don't understand. Like, because then you become somebody that they don't even, they're not even watching. <laughs> you have to give the scouts a reason to watch you. And if you're on the sideline, it, it, it's moot, you know, all that's moot. So I hope that some of the guys on UK's roster learn that lesson and, and, and don't um, just skip any of the other pre-draft stuff. Because I, I think if you're in that position that they were, it's important. It's important to show that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get picked. Yeah. When you look at the Giants too deep right here, Nick, you pull it up. Right now in the secondary, safety is a huge position, very thin there, starter-wise. Outside of Xavier McKinney and Julian Love are the projected starters, the only guy plugged in after them is Dane Belton, which was a fourth-round pick out of Iowa, who is probably better as kind of like a box nickel safety. So for Corker, like he's going to have a good chance to make the team here um, because they need depth there at safety. 
Um, so that could actually be a pretty good spot for him. I know it, you know, you'd probably rather get drafted, but you're you're stepping into a position room that needs some help um, in a rebuilding franchise. So they need bodies. And so I think it's a great chance for him to go in there and potentially make the 53 man there in training camp. Justin Rigg, Cincinnati sign. Mm-hmm. Great spot for Justin Rigg. The Bengals lost CJ Uzama to free agency. He's with the Jets now. And they didn't draft the tight end. Um, so they they got three guys that they that are probably sharpied into on the 53-man roster, but they like to carry four tight ends there in Cincinnati. Um, they do use a good dose of 12 personnel. Um, so they like to have some depth there. Rig, there's going to be about five guys he's competing with right now. He apparently um, reports were that he had a very, very impressive workout. Um, they're uh, a last minute local workout Cincinnati does for local prospects right before the draft. They got him on their radar. Mm-hmm. They signed him quickly after yes. the draft was over. He's going to have a, a good shot at making the 53 man roster, but he's going to have a great shot at sticking around their practice squad, signing on the practice squad and hanging around there for a couple of years. So for him, I think it's close to home. I think that's a good spot uh, for him. For him, I think it's all going to be what kind of value can he bring you on special teams? Um, does he have the athleticism to be on the punt team, to be on the punt return team potentially? Right, right, yeah. Uh, so that that's going to be the big question, I think, for him. But from a blocking standpoint, I think he could fit right in. So that's – those two guys right there, I think they're going to have good chances to be on a – you know, we could be watching red zone and see them pop up on the two. Yeah, uh, yeah. Come up exactly November, right. Sunday next year, or this coming year. Big picture draft stuff. Uh, one story that I was – consumed by that made more sense actually it's i'm still a little baffled by it but two guys really fell far because of injury concerns um, one of them is has much more serious injury concerns and it's clemson wide receiver justin ross who was a superstar in the making when he was it broke his neck broke his back he had to have surgery he had a spine spine uh some type of spinal cord injury yeah, like an effusion surgery. Right. So, like, obviously, that's going to draw some concerns. He signed as a free agent with the Chiefs, which that – I mean, if you're going to be an undrafted free agent at receiver, go to Kansas City, you know. So, like, I feel like that's a nice spot for him. The Nicobe Dean, though, that was the one where – I mean, five defensive yeah. starters – or five what defensive is going, What is Georgia. going on here? They win the first round. He was the best player of them all. And you're like, okay, well, he slid to day two. Somebody's going to get a steal in the second round. And – you know, middle linebackers, they aren't what they used to be as far as valued. So I I, I I could at least like, okay, well, he's a he went. I was talking to our guy Trevor Kelsey. Trevor was like, uh, he was loving the Eagles draft. And yeah, he I, just, I would too if I was him. He's like AJ Brown. I mean, we we're, we're, this is awesome. Like this is the best draft ever. If we could somehow get Dean, I might just just call it quits. And by God, they got him. <laughs> so uh, the the weird part though, like it is that they all of these reporters were rattling off this laundry list of, list of injuries that he wasn't going to need surgery for. And then Dean, after he got picked by Eagles, was like, no, I'm going to be at rookie minicamp. I'm good. I'm, I'm healthy. So I, I don't know what the hell is going on here. Yeah, that was – I'm thinking it was a thing where the doctors would have preferred him to have surgery. They didn't want him to play through it. Maybe it's a thing where he doesn't want to go under the knife for it. So mm-hmm. he's going to try to play th- – I don't know. Uh, because there's a lot it's there. Bizarre. There, there's size like concerns to their neck shoulder. There's a, there's a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, there's size concerns with him too. Um, but yeah, there was guys 
at the position going over him that was just oh, absurd. The Montana State guy that the Falcons picked, you're like, what? Yeah. What? what are we doing here? At no point last year was Quay Walker better than Nicobe Dean. <laughs> Quay Walker goes first round the Packers. Now, Quay Walker's got the measurables that just Dean doesn't, right? 6'4", mm-hmm. 240 pounds, can really run. And then Dean didn't test. So there was rumors that he wasn't going to test very well. So team, teams probably docked that against him because he didn't test. Um, so, yeah, it was just a weird development. But, man, that Eagles – I love that Eagles draft. I swear. I love – all these – they got five players plus A.J. Brown in the draft, and all these dudes can play. Jordan Davis going to come in and be a space eater. Cam Jurgens going to back up Kelsey for one year and then be their starting center. Um, Kobe Dean's probably going to start at linebacker for them as a rookie. Um, Grant Calcaterra can play at tight end. Kyron Johnson is uh, an intriguing um, off-ball linebacker slash guy that can do some edge rush type stuff. So, uh, yeah, a big fan of what GM Hallie Roseman did there. The Eagles, like, people forget that team made the playoffs last year. They people snuck in. forget that. But they made the playoffs. Yeah. And now they now Jalen Hurts has the pieces here. You look at A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins. They got the receivers. They got a strong running game. They got a good old line. Like, it's the year for Jalen Hurts. He needs to strike now. If, they, if he doesn't, then they're going to be in the QB market, and they're going to be a very attractive place um, for QB maybe looking to move. Um, so the Eagles, buy stock that on them too in the NFC East. You, you're seeing some franchises here, I think, in the draft that are really coming on and that, that are getting close. They they got the roster. We just need the quarterback. And they're they're an example of maybe you don't need the quarterback first. Maybe the quarterback's the last piece you add to be a contender. But yeah, a big fan of what the Eagles did. George, uh Trevor Kelsey should be excited. <laughs> um, look at um, we're nearing the end of this podcast. I'm I'm wanted to ask you if you had any more draft takes before. Before we we yeah, call the, bear, the Bears are just the Bears are just I mean a poop fecta of a draft just <laughs> absolutely horrendous. You've got Justin Fields there just being hung out to dry. At least the Jaguars fixed their issues right. At least they went out and like all right, even if we're just we're getting competency, so we don't ruin this guy early mm-hmm. in his career. Right. Maybe not going to win it on his rookie contract, but maybe if he really takes off, then we can go second. The Bears, man, they go out. Make it a coaching state. They hire a defensive head coach, first time head coach. They go out and then they go, they go, they don't have a first round pick. So they go, they got two top 50 picks, go cornerback safety. They, the third round pick is Vilas Jones, who's old, six year senior. Um, primarily going to be a punt returner. You know, it's not going to be a guy <laughs> that can really help. They totally passed on George Pickens, who could have been exactly what they needed, yeah. a big outside X receiver. Stiller's got After that, I like that pick. Yeah. Wait to the fifth round, get a FCS tackle. <laughs> wait to the sixth round, get a Mountain West tackle. <sighs> and then just load up on defense in between the draft. But really, you got two top 50 picks where you can really do something, help your guy out. You go defense first for your defensive head coach there in Chicago. On brand, Bears think you need to win with defense running game. You look at the roster, everybody ragged on the Bengals last year for giving up sacks. The Bears gave up more sacks than the Bengals. And they didn't do anything to address that offensive line here in the offseason, really. Oh, they gosh. lost one of their better players to free agency. So it's got Justin Fields, I feel for him um, because that was a guy, you know, upside was high, but we everybody knew he had to be in the right system and you had to really do a great job of building around him. You kind of had to do what the Chargers are doing with Justin Herbert. Give him all the pieces, and then when you have pieces, it's going to open up all of his talent. For now, he's just—I mean, he's up. You know what's creek without a paddle? Um, 
And the Bears, I think it's going to get ugly for him this year. And it's going to be like seeing the takes on that. It's going to be kind of unfair to him because supporting cast stinks around there. So I did, I hated what the Bears did. Patriots had a weird draft. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really addressed their needs. Cardinals, I, I, that was a weird trade for Hollywood Brown. Oh, no. Get another short guy. Like uh, that was, that was a let's just try to keep Kyler Murray happy. So we're going to get his yeah. old teammate. That was yeah. weird. They have Zach Ertz already. They have a good tight end. They get Trey McBride for Cliff's spread offense. Like they're not going to run much two tight end set. So you're, they only have they have one pick outside the top. Well, they only didn't have any picks inside the top fifty. They have one at fifty five, and they spend it on a tight end, a guy who's not even going to start for them. Um, so I thought that was weird. Yeah, yeah, that was bizarre. Huh. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but I, you, you had. Your, I don't want to say one shining moment, but NFL draft, it's right in your wheelhouse. This week, it's my wheelhouse. We got the horses running uh, beneath the twin spires this week. I'm fired up. We're about to have the Oaks and Derby draw. I don't, I haven't actually got to see the horses in person doing radio shows there Tuesday through Thursday. If y'all want to check them out, Kentucky Roll Call, 7 to 9 a.m., Big Exports Radio. Uh, But I, so I haven't got an Oaks horse yet. That's going to be a really deep field. The the horse nest that won the Ashland and what good. But there there's a ton. Echo Zulu is a badass. That that race is going to be a really good race. Um, might might be able to get a horse at a nice price at like five to one to come in. But the Derby, look at I, I I try to get talked into these closers every year because watching a horse like mine that bird come from the back is just thrilling. But that hasn't happened in ten years. Uh, since they started this Derby point system, it's it's all about front runners or horses that are right off the pace. That you got to be first or second going around the final turn. Uh, that's the way it's been since 2013 when Orb closed. That was the last closer. Zandon and Mo Donegal are the two big closers. I have a feeling I'm going to make myself put Chad Brown Zandon in my try box because I'll just feel like an idiot if I don't. But really, I just think it's going to. I, I think the chalk is going to hold. Epicenter is one back to back races. Uh, he he's a front runner. Asmussen's never won the Derby. This feels like the right one, and if if I can get him at five to one, I might put a lot of money on him uh, right before the race goes off. But it'll probably be more like three. I'm curious what the Baffert horses are going to do, Taiba and Messier, uh, just because Baffert horses they always wreck my damn try. They 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 just take money away from me, and I hate West Coast horses because they only race. Taiba's in his third race. And I mean, he's only his third race. He just beat six horses and you're going to run a 20 horse field, but I get so scared. I feel like I've got to bet him too. I don't know what I'm going to do with those. Um, and ultimately, as far as long shot plays go, Cyberknife won me some money in the Arkansas Derby. He's a little erratic. If they can straighten him out, I actually do think that the Brad, that Brad Cox or either that one or Zozos, one of those two. Um, I'm pretty confident is, is going to be on the board, but I got to see him to confirm it. I don't know. I'll probably end up tweeting out my picks the day of, but I thought I'd share a little bit of horse racing insight for our listeners. Uh, and I, I hate being boring, but it feels like Epicenter is going to be the one. Nick, are these beer prices or these drink prices? Are they always that high? Dude, opening night sucks. So I, I'm, I'm a track regular the Saturday night race to open up Derby weekend. Like, was this past I, weekend? Yeah, right. it's a great idea, but they charge you an arm and a leg to get in. It's like twenty five bucks to get in, which is twenty nine on Derby. Like, I mean, that at least you're getting a concert and stuff out of it. But yeah, twelve dollar beers, twelve dollar beers. It's outrageous. And I, I was always a a flask guy, and I mean, I'm still going to bring one in. Last year when it was a lighter crowd, 
it was i probably bought eight beers and it was it, but you know what i didn't have line so I, I was like you know what i'll pay 12 dollars if i don't have to wait in line for a cold beer yeah, um, yeah. but it, it, it man it is it is killer you gotta you gotta win some money to be able to afford to, to drink it's like that's like new york city prices i know it's crazy absolutely trying, nuts i think it's like trying to think of the last like i think it was like eight nine bucks for a beer at the last big thing i went to mm-hmm. that sounds about right which like I I really do think if you keep it in single digits, it's so much more palatable. It's and and, and there's not a yeah. nine nine and yeah. three dollars isn't a huge difference. But if I can hand somebody a twenty, and and just be done with it and you know, have my two beers, you tip them a couple bucks, you just you feel yeah. better about it. So that 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 part does stink, but it's not. I gonna... saw that and I was just like, is it always been that expensive? I know it's like expensive to go to Derby. Seventy. What's it cost to get in field nowadays? Um, so it's 29 for 30 and see, I, I mooched and use my media pass, but my wife will get the <laughs> Oaks. My wife does the Oaks Derby. She, she will get the package deal like a right. week before the prices go up and it's like a hundred bucks for both. So like, you know, that's not too terribly bad. Um, yeah. I think the move though, like it, if you want to just, if you want to just have the most fun po- possible as you can during Derby week at the track paying it's like 85 or 90 bucks all you can eat and drink on the front side on Thurby. like that that's mm-hmm. a I, I did it last year and the only fun i didn't have is i felt like i needed to eat my way to make my money's worth so i just like i got i got, I got gorge yourself yeah oh, i got gorge i i drank about 10 beers and i had 17 chicken fingers you know like it just uh kind of wrecked well, I, it. but I, I do think that's a that's a fun time it's a good well, day I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to you making the news again Oh yeah, that's fair. Come on. Uh, I hope you. I hope the weather. I mean, it's not. It's not super. It's not gonna be hot, but it's not gonna be terrible yeah. at least. Right yeah, now. probably a little bit of rain. You're gonna be so, able to enjoy being outside. Yeah. Right, right, right. So it should have a little bit of everything. I'm pumped. I'm. Uh, I'm happy we're doing this podcast on Monday because, man, it's gonna be like pulling teeth doing any work to get to Thursday. But by God, we're gonna have some fun out there, uh, and hopefully everybody wins some money this weekend. It's uh, it's a wonderful time in the bluegrass. The, you can feel that buzz in the city of Louisville. Like it. Everybody's excited for the Derby. Yeah. Hey, uh, there's a pep in the step right now, I would say, here in the Derby City. <sighs> Man, that's great. Well, folks, this has been an enjoyable episode of Live in Personnel. We're going to be back next week and, and maybe get a little bit more into the SEC, dive into some of the, the overarching themes from spring balls around uh, the gamut. Um, but until then, happy Derby, everybody. Go Cats. Go Kroger.